I'm just an individual, living a miracle, standing divisible, connected to God and my physical essence of my spiritual presence is visible, totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal, used to be a criminal, living so minimal, but things have changed in my life, it's going through different intervals, finding that balance is significantly difficult, timing is everything, so my timing is critical, rhyming is literal, the unforgettable, that's why you stand before you impeccably so presentable, I give respect to you, know that I am respectable, I've always wanted acceptance, is that acceptable? I am the rival expected to be exceptional, and I'm a grown man, handle business like a professional, I am incredible, the unconventional, and you stopping me from chasing my dreams is unprofessional. Welcome to NC Raw. My name is Steve Steen, host of Recovery Always podcast. Sitting with my man, the Recovery Lion. What's up? What's up? The amazing Kayla McCoy. What up, bro? Man, for some reason, you know, I, we was talking about this just a few minutes ago that the enemy did not want this to happen. So we are. This is a blessing to be here, but, you know, blessings don't come to us. They should flow through us. So that's why we're trying to I'll, I'll bring my 110%. Like I told you a few weeks ago that I was going to do that from now on. I didn't feel like I was giving you that. And, and, and you called me this afternoon fired up. I did, and I'm fired up right now. Let's get it. The beautiful, amazing Caitlin Ledford, our guest from episode four, who absolutely killed it. Is, is at the round table with us tonight. Oh, you guys, thank you. I am so honored and so blessed to be here. What's up, everybody? Um, I'm ready. Let's do this. This is raw as it gets. So since you're the first guest that's actually been back to the table, I just wanted to ask you, like, what kind of feedback did you get from people who listened to your testimony, listened to episode four? Oh, wow. I had so many people. People reach out and tell me they were in tears. They could relate. I had a lot of people that was like, "That was that's my story," you know. And that, that's the that's the beauty of it. That's how we connect is being able to 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 relate, but to be able to you know know that there's that there's a way out. That recovery does happen. Like Caleb said, it's it's not just possible. It happens. Look at us. What were you saying about setting the expectation, Caleb? Man, I was—I don't know if I can remember all that. <laughs> we are building a community. We are changing the culture, um, and you know, trying to remove the stigma that it's okay to be where you're at. Um, and we're bringing this this message out of the shadows and into the light. And that's that's why we're making it the expectation. Absolutely. Today's guest, a local legend. <laughs> Right? I heard so much about her. Uh, she was one of the first to like jump on our f very first episode Facebook Live and start engaging with us and commenting with us. I, can I give a quick shout out to my, our Hell friend, yeah. Franny? Franny, we love you. I am glad that you are watching. Um, I cannot wait to see you on Wednesday. I think I'm going to be in class Wednesday. Yeah, we'll see you Wednesday. And Kayla will not class. Kayla will not be teaching this class, so I'm just gonna go ahead and say that. Today's guest, Ginger, stream the dream Malcolm. Welcome <laughs> to NC Raw, girl. Thank you. It's a joy. It's an honor. It's a privilege. 
just to be a part of. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Um, I guess I'll tell you a little bit about myself before we get started. Um, my name is Ginger Malcolm, and I'm a person in long-term recovery. And what that means for me is that I haven't used any mind or mood-altering substances in six years, 30 days, Hell yeah. six years, one month, and 23 days. Beautiful. It's a long, long time. Well, I appreciate you accepting our invitation to mm -hmm. join us tonight and mm -hmm. kind of open up on your approach to recovery. Mm -hmm. I think you have a, a very unique story that we're looking forward to uh, to diving into. But before we do that, um, last episode, I started off the show talking about how we needed to personally work on building our relationships together the nc raw team right and like what that would look like and what that would feel like and our audience member caitlin threw in threw out an idea right what was the idea what the dinner yeah the chef stage? yeah oh, hashtag chef stage yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah I was talking hashtag crab legs. Hashtag crab legs. I was talking oh, about. I, I was talking about like the conversation started with um, me kind of sharing how at the end of our shows I'm so jacked up that I need to like decompress and I need to like really like wind down after such a long and exciting night and. Uh, all of a sudden, K Caitlin shouted out, all you can eat crab legs at Chef's Age. And I was just like, what? <laughs> and we didn't, I, I just want to say that we didn't even really eat any crab legs. We we killed the crawdads. Uh, did we? we? <sighs> yes. There was nothing left at that buffet. No, there, we, no, we there really, literally we was no crawdads <laughs> left in that tray. We, we, so everybody sitting at this table, plus our awesome producer and engineer, Miss Courtney Stywalt sitting behind Caitlin. Hey. The amazing. All got together <laughs> last Sunday night. Phenomenal. To kind of plan for this show, but most importantly, like build our relationships and kind of get to know each other a little bit more. I was kind of talking about how um, because we, you know, don't logistically, it doesn't really work out to like see each other as often as we would like and like spend as much time together as we like. You're so busy doing some awesome things in the community. I got so much going on over here uh, with the collegiate recovery programs and going to school and working full time that we're just unable to really spend that quality time and build those relationships. And so I wanted to like start today's show with like, what, what was, uh, what was that experience like over there besides crushing like pounds of crawdads? Oh the, yeah. The dinner, it was, uh, man, it, it was, Go ahead, Caitlin. You take it. It was amazing. <laughs> it was so fun because, like, uh, we're all the time, you know, go, 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 work, work, yeah. work, which is, I mean, that's hard work and dedication. That's, you know, that's what we know. But at the same time, you know, just taking that, taking that time out, have a little bit of fun. I mean, I had a blast. I mean, selfies, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, having fun with the waiter and. Your friend Bobby, Bobby, <laughs> yeah. Whitney and Bobby. Oh, yeah. Shout Whitney out and Soldier. Bobby. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm. Did you tag her? I'm tagging. I'm trying her to tag people, but um, no, I just I loved it. I love the idea. I mean, like I said, I consider you guys family. You know, Certainly. and we're we've, we we got to be doing more stuff like that. You know, spend take some time out and just you know 
making it happen. Yes. Cult- cultivating those relationships, yeah. you know, that's what it's about. Um, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. So let me ask you this: Where I figured we, I'd wake you up a little bit. Where are we going to go this Sunday? I was to say that. We are going. We're going back to the same place. Subway. Right? Same place. No. <laughs> we can't go to Subway now. Actually, no. I want some crawdads. I'm just like crawdads. Yeah. Why don't, we, why don't we go over to like the seafood market and just boil up a bunch of crawdads and, <gasps> and have do like a, a cookout? Yeah. Do like a cookout. Like cookout. <laughs> cookout. <laughs> What's up with that, man? A low country boy. Low country boy. Yeah. Fairly close. <laughs> you down for that, man? Absolutely. Let's do it. Oh, we ain't got much time. Oh, that's I'm what late, that's I'm... that's where I'm going with this, man. So oh. we have today and one more show. Right. Do we got one more show? Next next Monday. We're okay. doing a special episode yep. next Monday. Our first video. We will be doing a video, recording a video for my event this weekend, mm-hmm. but we'll back that up just mm-hmm. a little bit. We'll back that up. Next Monday is going to be our first videoed podcast where we're going to record the entire episode to be posted on YouTube with this audio, and hopefully the all of our shows moving forward, uh, once we're able to financially afford video equipment, will be posted to our YouTube channel. So it's a very going to be a very exciting episode. Uh, my, my boy K- Caleb has... A pretty exciting guest lined up that we won't quite disclose yet, but we'll get there. Uh, we'll get there real soon. I'm actually on the 14th of May. I'm leaving from Godua, which is in between Cherokee and Bryson City, to embark on a godly metamorphosis and transformation. <laughs> and I, I'm so, you know, I was thinking about this today, y'all. Uh, I've, I've, Wrecked on my bike. I, I've, I mean, ankles swollen up. You know, knees killing me. I had, I had a respiratory infection. And would remember in peer support training, I would run at lunchtime. I would go outside and run in between, <laughs> like, with the hour. Yeah. And I had a respiratory infection. But it, that's what I try to share with everybody. If you want something, and you put in that work and have that faith, man, it's, it's truly limitless. And I know when I first got out of jail august 24th of last year you know I, seven weeks i've done an iron man and that's that's god you know what i mean i i can do a little bit you know like as far as exercise goes but when it comes to things like that that i mean i'm just taking it back just thinking about it you know i've been training for seven weeks and i'm i'm so glad that it's almost here and i'm glad to be able to raise money for this for this movement and like I told y'all, I'm going to make sure that I donate money to the NC Raw so we can help expand this and grow this because I know that it's going to be epic. So what's the journey going to be like? It's going to be 40 days sleeping on the ground. It's going to be 40 days. How many miles is it? Um, It's right around 1,300. It's I, We haven't got the exact mileage down. Mm-hmm. I'm not in charge of logistics, but I'm just running. <laughs> Right, Ginger? I'm just running. I'm just showing up and running every day. That's all I'm doing. But uh, I want to say it's close to 1,300 miles over 40 days. I'll be running over 30 miles a day, resting on Sundays, sleeping on the ground, just getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Absolutely. Mm. That's beautiful. So in preparation for that race, I think before we get into stream the dreams approach to recovery, (laughs) in preparation for that race, we could real quickly cover a couple of house housekeeping items. Yeah, let's do it. You got a event coming up next weekend? 
this week? That, yeah, this weekend uh, it will be March or May May fifth from two to ten at the Visitor Center Pavilion uh, across from the ceremonial grounds. We will um, have different worship bands, worship bands, uh, the Tribe Call Praise, um, Emily Franklin. Uh, let's see, Tony Walking Stick. We're, we're going to have different people there um, performing. We're going to have, hopefully, we're going to have you there. Courtney, are you going to be there? Okay, Courtney, I'll be there. be there. I'll uh, be there. Rob's going to be there. Ginger's going to be there. Rob the Crawdad. My my beautiful lioness will not be there. She will be on vacation. I mean, getting away. She she deserves it. She deserves it. So I'm really looking forward to her having a good time and just getting away from everything and enjoying herself. But I will be holding it down. Mm-hmm. I saw that you're speaking. I will be speaking a little bit. And we're actually, it looks like we're going to have quite a few of the youth there from Swain. We're going to have some from Smoky Mountain coming, Lord willing. And it's just going to be an awesome time. We'll be grilling out. And this is for the money. We're raising money for Raise Hope. Okay. Recovery and consulting. So one more time, tell us where it is, what time it is. May 5th from 2 to 10, and it's going to be at the Visitor Center Pavilion across from the ceremonial grounds in Cherokee. If you'd like to reach out, if you have any questions about it, yeah, feel free to do. contact Caleb on Facebook or Caitlin. They could share all the details with you as far as how uh, to get there, where to park. This is dubbed Recovery, Revival, and Reconciliation. Awesome. I will see you Saturday. I will All right, be there. man. I also wanted to share one other upcoming event. One of the topics that's come up a few times in our conversations, um, I can recall in talking with you, Caitlin, when Richie was here, is how do we approach our children when they're struggling? Mm-hmm. And how, how do we support them? And how do we love them um, during those difficult times? And how do we uh, be compassionate towards their struggles and what they're going through? And I wanted to share an event that's taking place over in Asheville tomorrow, Tuesday, May 1st. It is taking place at Sunrise Community Center. I know a lot of you guys are familiar with that. I serve on the board there. Oh, there you go. Stream the dream. So tomorrow at Sunrise Community Center, there's a support group there that's called Mother to Mother. And it's a group of parents who gather and kind of openly support each other and discuss their children's struggles. But they have a guest speaker speaking tomorrow night, uh, James Skelton of Win- Wisdom Recovery and Counseling Services. will be um, speaking to discuss with parents how they can most effectively support their children suffering from addiction and issues uh, resulting from their addictions. So it's tomorrow night at Sunrise Community Center from 7 till 8.30 p.m., if you have any questions about that, you can contact us through NC Raw or contact James directly through Wisdom Counseling and Recovery Services. So thank you guys for for offering stuff like that. If if any of our viewers or listeners have any type of events taking place in the community, feel free to contact us. We want to share and support anything that's going on in the Western North Carolina region. Um, We'll try to we'll try to collectively make it out if we can, but most importantly, we'll, we want to share that message to anybody who might be tuning in via Facebook or or our uh, our podcast. So hey, I mean, you got a voice, use it. That's right. That's what these microphones are for, right? I see it. <laughs> Over the last couple of weeks, we've been asking our listeners 
to share with us their anniversaries. And we have a few anniversaries taking place in the next couple days. She's listening. She's she's on right now. She's the amazing Jill, who is a wonderful um, recovery champion and recovery ally and doing, you know, she's changing lives at Adelaniski at the Recovery Center in, in Cherokee. And we want to give Jill a shout out. Celebrating 26 years. 26. Kayla's like, time. wow, that's, that's as long as I've been alive. I mean, not, not to make you, because you, you're not old, Jill. You're older, but you, you, I mean, like a fine wine. We love you. <laughs> love you, Jill. That is awesome. That's so amazing. We also have Holly Griffin of Bryson City. You guys know her? Yeah. Holly is uh, married to my cousin, Riley. Okay. And she's doing she's doing awesome in her recovery. Very proud of her. What's up, Holly? Shout out to you. She just reached out. She celebrated four years a few days ago yeah. on the 24th. Exactly. So tons of love going to Holly. And then lastly, Courtney Kimmel, who has been a huge supporter of NC Raw, um, fellow classmate of mine, just doing amazing things uh, in her recovery. She'll be celebrating two years on Saturday, May 5th. How about that? Beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. We didn't give so, him a hand, y'all. Let's round give him a hand. Of a, give him a hand. Round of applause for everybody uh, and celebrating their recovery. So, Ginger. <laughs> yes, sir. Come on. You ready? Bring it. Are you ready to do this? I'm ready to do this. I'm always ready to talk about recovery. All right. <laughs> so, what I wanted to ask you first was really just if you could give us a uh, a little bit of a snapshot on how you got to recovery. What was that process like in a, a brief, you know, couple minutes? Mm-hmm. All right. What so, was the road to recovery? Well, um, I don't like to dwell on, I never like to dwell on the past because I got here the way, the same way everybody else does. You know, I used too much. I didn't know um, how to stop. And, um, but there's some things I want to cover in there. You know, um, 87% of all addiction starts um, and resonates from trauma. Our inability to cope, our inability to accept, our inability to process. And, and I had some major issues of early childhood trauma. I had a traumatic accident um, with my eye that left me uh, blind in, in my left eye at a very young age, at five months of age, and seven surgeries between five months and kindergarten. Um, my mother died shortly after that, being raised as a military child. Um, I never had stability. Stability was not something that, um, that I had in my life. And so, um, you know, addictive behavior and addiction um, is not just about the drugs. The drugs are just a symptom. And um, so my addiction, um, my, probably my first addiction was in self-acceptance and validation. Always wanting to be um, accepted, being teased and tormented by other children. What do you think it was that, why you didn't, why you felt like you didn't fit in? Can you well, identify like specific? A lot of it was from the trauma, mm-hmm. you know, um, like I said, being teased and tormented by other little children, being called names, mm-hmm. um, having those surgeries where I was led around with both pa- with patches on two eyes and and um, like a blind child and um, called names. And, uh, and I remember in high school, they thought that my eye was glass and they used to call me Windex. Okay. And so um, 
so that trauma of never fitting in, never finding a place where I belonged, never being okay with who I was, feeling like I was never good enough and ugly and, and not accepted and, and um, you know, reaching uh, adolescence and wanting to know what part of me was part of my mother and what part of me was part of, you know, who I truly was mm-hmm. and um, not knowing those answers because my mother was dead and my family had isolated me from that side of my family, sure. um, my father's side. And, um, and uh, growing up with a stepmother that was extremely abusive and um, physically and mentally abusive and uh, being left out in the cold for days and, and, um, and, and nights and, and traumatic, traumatic experiences as a child. And so that led me to, um, you know, always wanting to be, my first addiction was probably acceptance mm-hmm. and validation, wanting to be loved, wanting to be accepted for, for who I was and not really knowing who I was. Sure. Um, and, uh, what would you say to the young girl that's listening right now? that is being made fun of that has got all the these circumstances unfortunate circumstances going on in her life what would you say to her to pick her up well when i come to adolescents and children in the elementary schools and in the high schools the very first thing i always say to them is um how many of you parents have ever told you not to run with scissors in your hands (laughs) or not to throw pencils and i'm living proof of why that matters um because of the trauma that happened to my eye was caused from uh, something being thrown and hit against my eye. And I was totally helpless as an infant. And um, so when it comes to children, you know, um, the need and the desire to be accepted is so great. And it starts at home, you know, and when they come from an environment that they're not accepted and it's not okay, um, when there's when you feel like there's no acceptance even at home like the instability of my father being in the military and always being gone i felt like i never had um, the love and the support that i needed and the bottom line for me today through the recovery process has taught me that god has given me everything i need inside myself that regardless who um who what family i was born into um who raised me, that he surrounded me with people that loved me, that even though my parents weren't always there, that I had grandparents that supported me and loved me and people that tried to love me. But deep down inside, I couldn't learn to love myself. And I acted out on that first for, from promiscuity and, and, um, and then drugs. And when drugs became an issue, I began to, you know, I sold drugs and, and lived that lifestyle just to be wanted and just to be needed. And for that, in, for that young girl, for that young boy who feels like they don't fit in, who has a disability or, or doesn't, um, doesn't look like everybody else or doesn't have a safe place to go home to today, you know, they have value and they have purpose and God put them on this planet for a reason. And there's, there's a purpose in their life. There's a purpose in their pain. What I've learned through my own recovery is that, is that no matter what I went through, it made me who I am today. And it made me strong and vulnerable and independent, you know, and independent and, and able to, 
to stand up for myself and to learn to love myself, but I had to surround myself by a community of people that loved me even when I couldn't love myself, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what recovery gave me. But um, for the young girl who's struggling and and doesn't have a place, there's people that God has put in your life. There's guidance counselors at school that you can reach out to. There's a grandparent. There's not only do you have value and that you're amazing and that you're beautifully and wonderfully made and that you're meant to be on this earth, but that you were created for a purpose and, um, and that you have the strength inside of you. You know, um, we're, we live in a society that teaches us that, that, that men are supposed to be strong and, and always be, you know, be able to do a good job and, and be able to macho and all that kind of stuff. But the true nature of it is that, um, you know, there's a drive inside of women and inside of girls that become mothers and, mm-hmm. and, and, and role models and, and achieve great lengths and feats. Like I have a 19 year old daughter who, um, th- even through the adversity of my own addiction, decided that she would not take that choice because she saw what it did to me and her father. And um, she graduated high school last year with a 4.3 GPA and a full academic ride to college. And I was an active participant in her life before my addiction. I probably started using when she was about five until she was nine or 10. And and my addiction totally stopped at about um, the age of 13 or 14 for her. But she... But no matter what, I was honest with her. And when I couldn't do the right things and when I was making bad decisions and, and I couldn't be who I wanted to be to her because I was caught up in the disease, you know, I was honest with her. Mm-hmm. That no matter what, I loved her anyway, but that my choices weren't always what's best for her and that I was selfish and, at times. And, and, um, but, you know, when we get caught up in the disease of addiction, when we're in that disease, we have no choice. You know, once we hear the message of recovery and we have the opportunity for hope and change, then um, then we have the chance to to affect every life that we touch. And even though my addiction affected every life that I touched, my family, my friends, my employers, because of recovery, my recovery gets to touch every life that I come in contact with. It has an impact mm-hmm. on every person I meet because of the person that I've become through my recovery. Like, you know, and it's a gift. Our, I, I work a 12-step program. That was my pathway mm-hmm. that brought me back into communion to a faith-based, to a stronger faith-based program. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. But let's talk a little bit about, like, what led up to seeking recovery. Like, what was... What led up to that behavior? Like, what was your, say, that moment of clarity when you just just had enough and wanted to stop? Or what was the, what was the experiences that, like, led to that point? When the consequences got great enough, mm-hmm. um, I stood before um, I was convicted of um, drug charges uh, about 12 years ago. I violated my probation on multiple times and had still not stopped totally using. I was given the opportunity to go to an amazing place in Tacoa, Georgia, where I began to build um, a relationship and a foundation with God. It was a very strict, um, godly program. We went to church 13 times a week, like, and um, and I got off the meth then. Yeah. And do I never. You, do you recall or do you know, like, what speci- where specifically you were when you're just like internally you're like I'm done I'm going to this place in Tacoa or I'm taking these steps to recovery like do you can you recall what that 
oh, that's just standing in front of a judge, in front knowing of the that, judge I, yeah. that I'm about to go to prison for that's three years. Very similar experience. Yeah. And, so, <laughs> and so I was sent to that recovery place, uh-huh. and I was able to build that foundation there, but I came home, and I started drinking. Mm-hmm. And I had never drank before then. Okay. And um, so five years in, I realized that I had substituted, sure. that the alcohol took me to the same place the meth did. Jails institutions are dead. Were you active in your NA community no, when you were drinking? Never. No, never. Okay. I never had the opportunity for the message of 12-step or, sure. or anything like that. I had just had that one opportunity. So you went to that treatment facility, you completed your obligation, you came mm-hmm. home just trying to kind of like do it on your own mm-hmm. and compensated with drinking alcohol I came home and I never picked up meth again you know what I'm saying I didn't go back to using illegal drugs but I justified it like so many of us do you know alcohol was legal it was um it was legal I wasn't waiting on the dope man I didn't have to come up mm-hmm. with 50 dollars like I just had to have a few bucks and and I'd be okay covered for the day yeah, yeah. and it started off casually like um drinking on the weekends and and then more and more and more through a five-year period I had become a functioning alcoholic mm-hmm. and I'd faced two DUIs in 30 days and um and I had still gotten the same consequences I had gotten from the illegal drugs so was it when you decided you were done drinking, was it the same thing, just facing those consequences? From oh, the I didn't DUIs make that or? decision either. No. <laughs> God did for me what I could not do for myself. Certainly. And um, the judge made that decision for me. I was standing in front of a judge for the third time about to face a prison sentence. And um, a district attorney who said, oh, you're going to prison today. Well, girl, you're going today. And, um, and a God that intervened on my behalf and a judge at my job came to court for me because in, in society, alcohol is acceptable. So the fact that I drank was not that big of a deal. And so my job came to court for me. Some of my family members came to court for me and um, advocated for me. And the judge said, the state will do this woman no good. Let her go home, get her job back, and, and get back into treatment. They put me back into treatment. And that's where I was forced into the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous. Without going into too much detail, because I want to talk about it a little bit later in the show, do you think that because those people went to bat for you in the courtroom, all the and advocated for you that's where you got your passion for advocacy today from (laughs) my passion for advocacy comes from the fact that um, an advocate is someone that fights for you when you're not even in the room Mm -hmm. and there are so many people in addiction caught in the disease so many people in substance use disorders and and still in active addiction that don't have a voice that are afraid that don't know they have a voice don't know they have a voice exactly and have been so demeaned and discouraged by the judicial system so so put down and and you know like a second rate citizen like they have no they have no way to fight the system and they feel like it's a it's a losing battle a constant losing battle and so because of that they're so they feel so inferior mm-hmm. and so advocacy is about being able to fight for those people who don't even realize they can fight for themselves, people that don't have the self-esteem, that don't realize that there's another option out there, that there's a choice for recovery, and they don't even know how to ask for it. So the judge sent you home, mm-hmm. and what was the first experience like walking into the rooms of N.A.? <sighs> hmm. So, like I told you, I had substituted with alcohol. And um, with 37 days clean, I walked into the rooms of um, Narcotics Anonymous on um, 
April 12th, 2011. And um, my very first meeting, I was handed a reading that says how it works. And I remember sitting in that meeting saying, I don't know what, why I got to do this. I'm done with the drugs, but I can't imagine not going into a Mexican restaurant and drinking a margarita. Mm-hmm. And the you still re- had that mindset. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When I got it. Yeah, mm-hmm. my very first day. Mm-hmm. And what would become my sponsor handed mm-hmm. me a reading that said, alcohol is a drug. We cannot afford to be confused about this. It caused a great many addicts to relapse. It hit you. And I was like, really, God? Really? Like, this is what you're trying to tell me? You know, did you have a what was your faith like in your relationship with the Lord at that time prior to walking into that room? <clears throat> I knew God. I had been raised that mm-hmm. way. I had a foundation. I knew the word um, from the place in Dakota, you know, from mm-hmm. constantly being I spent a year alone with God, you know, and um, and I had built a foundation with him. But I wasn't in total surrender. That being proven by coming home and still drinking, you know, yeah. I wasn't at a place of total surrender. And um, so I knew him and I knew that he had intervened in the opportunity to let me come home and get another chance at recovery and not go to prison. And that moment that you read that passage changed things. Absolutely. I was well, at, at first mm-hmm. I was like, really, what are you trying to tell me? But I still didn't realize all the consequences that I had had from alcohol till I, um, I had a, an assignment when I was in treatment to write, um, you know, like a goodbye letter. And I wrote a real bogus one to begin with. And they're like, Oh, that's not going to cut it. Mm -hmm. You got to do this for real. And so when I did, I started writing like everything that I had lost and all the things that had happened and the things that I had done under the use of alcohol. And it became like a novel. And it was this little bitty notebook that I took around I took with me everywhere I went, and, and it was like every day, even on the job, I was putting more and more stuff on there, like the thousands of cars I had wrecked, thousands mm-hmm. of dollars worth of cars I had wrecked, the, the, you know, the price to get out of the DUIs, the court costs, the showing up at the ball field for my kids intoxicated, um, you know, running the risk of losing them because I was intoxicated, getting behind the wheel driving, running the risk of, of killing myself or somebody else. Like, that was when it hit home. I was like, dude, this is not about the drugs. This is about addiction. This is about the disease of addiction. And, and I've got a problem. And, and this has taken my life from me. And this is not the person or the mother that I was intended to be. So that was the moment of surrender, is kind of reflecting on that mm-hmm. letter. to When I got totally honest with myself mm-hmm. about every all the stupid impulsive reckless things I had done because of alcohol and all the things I had lost like all the times I lied to my employer that I was sick with the virus and I was really just hungover you know what I'm saying all the time all the things I had put at risk to lose just because of alcohol and how I had you know lied to myself that it was just about it was just alcohol it was legal but it wasn't alcohol it was addiction and no matter how legal it is for me, it was destroying me. We are going to take a break, and when we return, we'll hear the triumphant rise of Ginger Stream the Dream, Malcolm, through the rooms of 12 Steps, to peer support specialist, advocacy work in the community, and on and on and on. The NC Raw crew would like to play some of your music 
if you or anybody you know in the recovery circles and the recovery communities is making music, send it to us at admin at ncraw.life. This upcoming track is coming from a cat that's doing some amazing recovery work through Facebook and Facebook Live videos. His name is Logan Bruce. You can find him at Logan Bruce Music on Facebook. The song is called Fake Smile. Three verses, one confession. I smile because it's expected. Let no one see this depression. Then I once learned my lesson, no exceptions, and that's a fact. Eyes straight down, better watch my back. Feel this heartbeat, cardiac. Let the devil creeps and he might attack. Man, fuck that. Been through hell. Stood at the gate and I rang that bell. All y'all laughed every time I fell, but I kept this smile because I knew too well that one day I'd make it home. Answer the call like I found my phone. Spill my heart till the mic is blown on top of the world like I'm on my throne but i'm in the zone three oh pitch i'm on point like a new syringe fading out like the moon eclipse with this fake smile across my lips every night i wish lie awake pray the lord my soul will break maybe one day i'll be great and the smile on my face might not be fake when the world falls apart like i don't know any better watch them burn to the ground yeah we'll never say never and we'll in our hearts as we watch all these feathers as they all fall down off of my dream catcher that these nightmares won't ever go to sleep and this fake smile wears me down down to my knees All those days I was down and out Obsessed with the man, no won't amount Been too scared to make a sound What do they say when I'm not around? Cause I let them down, but it don't make sense Back and forth up on this fence I could run the game I got next, but I'm on the stage And it gets too tense Embrace suspense, but to what extent? Facebook views won't pay my rent Ignore my songs and I'll take offense Now this fake grin's my one defense But I can't convince He's in no voices, pen to the pad Man, I destroy it, run from life Stay your Avoiding popping bottles, disappointment I don't enjoy, but it's what I do. Sitting alone in a crowded room, hoodie up while the headphones boom like good and evil. Win or lose, what can I prove? Will I be the king while I wear this crown? Cause the way I sing, when no one's around, can they hear me scream? Or is my fake smile all I'll be? When the world falls apart, like they don't know any better, watch them burn to the ground. Yeah, we'll never say never and we'll know in our hearts As we watch all these feathers as they all fall down Off of my dream catcher that these nightmares won't ever go to sleep And this fake smile wears me down, down to my knees. One more verse, let 
pulling it off my chest Judging me for what I ingest One year clean, made it out that mess But R.I.P. and peace, they rest Lost my friends, cried those tears Try to take back all those lost years This fake smile can't be sincere When the devil's close and the devil's near If he appears, reminisce Way back when I was just that kid With the world on my fingertips Shoot for the stars, goddamn I missed But now I switch, wanna take my shots I'm so sick of these hugs and props They worship all the ground that I walk Like my feet drop or the heartbeat stop Better watch the clock, time will tell Who was by my side every time I fell Lock inside on my cries for help Well, will I hide when I lose myself So I don't want no part of this game This damn mask don't kill my pain It is concealed so they know my name And I feel the fame running through my veins Staying in my lane, I'm done with this shit You can have it all, white flag forfeit It's too tight, not a shoe don't fit No more fake smiles, that's it, I quit Welcome back to NC Raw, continuing the conversation with my homegirl, Ginger, stream the dream, Malcolm. What up? What's up? We left off, you were kind of talking about your experience walking into the rooms of NA and what that first meeting was like. What was the progression and the experience, like in early recovery, being involved in the rooms of NA, and kind of what was that that progression for you like? All right. So um, once I got there, like I said, I wasn't really feeling it. I was forced into the rooms, like many many of us are, through drug court, through court systems, through mandates, through um, you know day programs. Um, and, uh, and I was just doing what I had to do um, to keep from going back to jail at first, you know, like many of us do. And um, early in recovery, um, in the rooms of NA, we talk constantly about instant gratification. Mm-hmm. That's something we love to get. We want what we want when we want it. And, um, and uh, the program teaches us not to get into a relationship for the first year. And I didn't, but, it, but I did have some relations Mm-hmm. <laughs> that got me pregnant in, early in the re- rooms or oh yes outside? i had okay. me, some relations in the rooms that got me pregnant early in recovery okay and um so um i was uh i had about three months clean and um i had gotten i found out i was pregnant and uh uh and was so afraid you know in the beginning i thought well i can't have this baby i'm gonna have to have an abortion. I'm gonna. Ha- I can't let my family know because here I am in recovery. I'm in this recovery house. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm staying clean, and everyone's gonna think I failed yet again. I've screwed up yet again. And um, so, without even returning to use, you were experiencing these feelings of guilt mm-hmm. and shame. Oh, and- absolutely. Um, when I first got clean, um, because I was forced into a recovery program, um, it. I had lost my license. I had lost my house. I'd lost the boyfriend, the relationship. I'd caught him cheating on me after I got to the recovery house. I lost everything when I got clean. Not before I got clean, because remember, I was a functioning alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I lost everything when I got clean. And I know to this day that had I not have been in a controlled environment like I was, that I never would have made it through that clean. Like, again, that was God doing for me what I could not do for myself, and um, which was so powerful for me. Um, and so then when I ended up pregnant, 
Um, and I was so fearful of what everyone would say and think. Um, I finally came clean with the people in the recovery house, and they supported me through it. Again, being un- involved and around an environment that, uh, in a community that accepted me no matter what, even when I failed, um, even in the recovery process when I, fa- when I felt as though I failed. At what point along the process did you start walking into the rooms because Ginger wanted to and not because you felt like you were fulfilling an obligation? So a few, about a month or so after that, I was sitting in a meeting and this guy walked in the rooms and they said, you're going to be the discussion leader today. And he had a million dollar smile. And he said, I'm coming up on 18 months clean today. And I love my life today. I love my life today. I'm so glad. And, and the smile on his face just resonated. And you could tell that he truly loved his life today. And it hit me. It pierced me. And that was my hope shot. In the rooms, we talk about that hope shot. And that was the moment I got that hope shot because when he said that, it pierced my spirit from the middle of my soul to the bottom of my feet to the top of my head. And I thought, I can't remember the last time I loved my life. I want to love my life today. And I started crying and tears were just pouring down my face. And I thought, I just want to love my life. I want what he has. And, um, and so I started listening. I stepped up to the plate, and I started applying the steps, and I started doing the step work, and I got a sponsor, and I started taking the suggestions that are that are offered in the rooms. And because I was in a recovery house I didn't really want to go be in, um, I made probably 120, 130 meetings my first 90 days instead of 90 and 90, what's suggested. Um, I was always in the rooms, and when I caught that hope shot and it changed my life, like, um, and I knew that if he could get it, I could get it. I started, I surrendered. You know, we surrender to win. And when we began to surrender and to work the steps, and when I became pregnant, you know, I had all these ideas of what I was supposed to do to fix it, to fix, manage, and control like we want to do so much in our addiction. But I, but what kept coming through my mind was, um, we turned our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. Step three, we turned our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. And I wasn't even on step three yet because I was, wasn't even in total surrender yet. Mm-hmm. But I knew that where I saw my life in a year was not where God saw my life. And it was time for me to apply the program in my life. And when I did, like everything changed for me, you know. So is it safe to say that this man, what was it, what's his name? Can you share his name? Mm-hmm. I'm waiting on no. In the name of Jesus, the spiritual foundation of all our man. traditions. Cut ever that reminding Cut us that to place principles before personalities. Oh my goodness. Well, what I was going to say was all those things that you just described and that fella in that room, all those, the, the, the joy on his face and the message that he was sharing is what I see in my co-host over here, my man Caleb, the lion. Like, that's what I, that's, that's the type of impact I see him making in the community every day. Right. I second that. That's also what I was going to bring up. You know, you seen somebody who was, you know, just pouring out the change that he wanted to see in others. That's true testimony to, you know, to the it's attraction rather than promotion that's a huge saying in the book and i yes i've been the na means i used to chair so but i truly i mean that that's it right there you know him just by sharing his story or just showing you know coming to the rooms and just showing how recovery does happen and you know you 
that that just poured into you giving you that purpose and and wanting you to get involved and give you that voice by saying here here's some responsibilities on and you know just feeling wanted and needed it sounds like that, that really that's part of it. not only that smile and that joy he had but wow you know somebody actually believes in me i think that you know it sounds like that made a huge impact impact also well, what it gave me was a desire. He fed my desire. He fanned my flame for my desire to have what he had. And so when that happened and I gained a desire to truly want to do something different and find a new way to live, you know, um, I became of service. You know, um, a lot of people say in the room, service work will keep you clean. But really and truly, service work keeps you coming. And if you keep coming, you might just stay clean. And so I kept coming. And, and within five months clean, you know, my, uh, my home group had a policy that you could be a GSR, a group service representative at the area level, at six months. And at five months clean, they said, I mean, they voted and changed the rule for me because I had become so engrossed in my re recovery, so in service. At 90 days, I could start chairing meetings, and I started chairing meetings. I became a trusted servant like me. With five months clean, I was a trusted servant. Someone trusted me. And, and what matters in any pathway, in any choice that we make, it's about what's the number one thing that changed when you began to use externally? Your social circle. The people no you hung doubt. The people you hung around with, the things you did, and, and, and the things that you gave up to be involved with people that were using. So when I came to a community that changed my social circle, and my social circle were involved with people that wanted like-minded people, that wanted the same things that I wanted, that had the same positivity to breed into me, that even when I didn't understand what the solution was, they wanted, they didn't just want to stay clean, they wanted me to stay clean. And that was powerful for me. And that, that changed me. And they loved on me when I could not love myself. When I didn't understand I had value, they gave me purpose. They gave me a position. They made me a trusted servant. They allowed me to be a part of when I thought that I belonged nowhere. And that, that is huge. You know, just even simple things, you know, like, hey, I need you to fix the coffee for, or, you know, will you set up the tables or will you help me set these chairs? That that just little things like that that's how it starts you know it's those seeds that start to plant and they start to grow and they're like wow you know here I am in a place where I can relate to all these people and they want me here they want me helping set up they want me to have a place you know in in having this meet and work functionally and they trust me and exactly. they, be they, they believe in me <laughs> they don't think uh, right yeah <laughs> I say. they believed in me and they believed that you know what I'm saying? They trusted me and they believed in me. That that um and they fanned my desire. They fanned my 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 desire to want to do the next right thing. You know, even when I didn't know what the next right thing was. And um and that was powerful for me. You know, just to be a part of, just like it is for any pathway to engross herself in a community that accepts them. For all of us, we talk about recovery always. NA was my pathway. You know, I have a faith-based program that coincides with that NA pathway. But the thing is, is that 
when you come to a, an organization like North Carolina Recovery Always, NC Raw, you say, no matter what your pathway is, I'm going to support you. I'm going to stand behind you. I'm going to walk beside you. I'm going to show up to a recovery ally like Courtney's graduation, and I'm going to support her because she's willing to sacrifice her time for us. I'm going to show up and support Caleb while he runs all the way to Oklahoma because he's doing it to break the cycle of of the stigma that he was not allowed to race because of the choices he made in his past. And he's going to change the face of that race. And I'm going to be there to support him. God knows I'm not going to run, but I'm going to be there to support him through the process. <laughs> Provide that hydration. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's that community. It's this community here at NC Raw that says, we're going to expose you to each and every pathway we can find. And no matter what it is, we're going to say you are in the recovery process. It's not about being clean or dirty. It's about doing, it's about active changes and ideas and behaviors. It's about finding a way to do something different. It's about walking away from active addiction and finding out how to be the mother, the father, the daughter, the son, the the community support, the employer, the employee, the the friend, the advocate that you were meant to be. And we're going to support anyone in whichever pathway they decide to do. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Whatever whatever they want to do to help support their own recovery and other people, here is where we say, we, we love you, we support you, and there is no definition of what you have to be doing to do to stay to stay out of active addiction and in the recovery process whatever it is let's get it let's get it no doubt I mean I think that like you know by sharing all of these stories and sharing all these approaches like I want to see somebody take pieces of all of them and create their own pathway to recovery you know like what is Ginger doing what is Caitlin doing I'm gonna run a marathon with my man Caleb that's my approach to recovery. are you I am 20, 2019, I'll mm -hmm. run a marathon with you. <laughs> I got to prepare for that, man. It takes a while. Yeah. A long time. I'm not kidding, dude. It, I'll do it with you. You got me? Oh, I'll be really. there. I'll do it with you. So I, let me just preface the <laughs> statement, Ginger. I don't come from a 12-step background, and I'm not very familiar with it at all. But I think what I heard you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what I heard you say was that by this man's message and what he shared with you, and you kind of like internally experiencing that third step allowed you and gave you the ability to accomplish your first step. Absolutely. Is that correct? Absolutely. To admit that um, I was powerless over my disease and my life had become unmanageable. Mm -hmm. I, and that's what I want people to understand. Like, even if you don't work a 12-step program, mm -hmm. even if you don't, um, that's not your pathway. Step one says that we came to believe that we were powerless over our disease and our lives had become unmanageable. The truth of life and the disease of addiction is that I am powerless over so many things. And if I choose not to accept that, my life becomes unmanageable. I'm powerless over the way other people treat me. I'm powerless over someone with road rage that blocks me off, cuts me off. Mm -hmm. I'm powerless over someone at the checkout at Walmart that has a bad day and cusses me out and, and makes me feel some type of way. 
You know what I'm saying? I'm powerless over what they do. And if I choose not to accept that, my life becomes unmanageable because my disease begins to talk to me. I get up in my head and I start thinking, well, who do they think they are talking to me like that? And who do they think this? And who do they think that? And, and I share on multiple levels that, you know, for people that early in recovery, when there's benefits that are needed, and let's just get really raw and real that, you know, when we get clean and, um, and something that just really, really aggravates me is people that um, have drug charges who can't get um, food stamps or right. assistance, but they come out of jail and they need help. They need housing. They're, they've got convictions, so they can't get housing. They can't get the things that they need. And they try to, and they get into the rooms or they get into their pathway of recovery. And, and so sometimes recovery is just not about cussing somebody out one day yeah. or not about slapping the fire out of somebody you know what I mean and um so and that's where the the first step is applied in in everyone's life every day like if I allow someone else to control my emotions and feelings and I react on those emotions and feelings instead of responding my life becomes unmanageable I think what I'm hearing is like a heavy sense of like balance like knowing when it's time to like set those boundaries but knowing when you also have to just take a step back and let those things go absolutely I can only change me. I can only work on me. In working through the, the program and consistently going through your steps and doing that, what type of, what kind of barriers did you come across? Like any kind of life hurdles, struggles? Where do I begin? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let me tell you. This is, a, this is um, like a two-hour show, so. The steps are what kept me sane mm -hmm. in the midst of recovering from the consequences of my using. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like, um, so the consequences weren't necessarily in the recovery. The consequences were in what remained from my active addiction and continuing to pay those consequences, continuing to have a record, mm -hmm. a criminal record that has followed me um, you know, when I first, when I first got clean, when I first got out, I couldn't even deliver pizzas. Yeah, you know, I driver's license. Well, even if I had a license, you can't work in pizza places as, a, as with convictions, with okay. felony convictions. Um, I couldn't even work at Waffle House because you can have one felony there, but mm. not two. And I had more than one. And um, you know, there were so many things that I could not do. I couldn't work at Walmart. I couldn't work at the gas station. I couldn't. There were so many jobs that I could not find. And so um, the main hurdle I had was staying clean and trying to understand why I keep doing the next right thing when Wait. I'm still bound by the consequences of these convictions. So what did you do to overcome that? So after I had my daughter and I realized that I was um, her sole supporter, and um, um, I reached out through other people that were in the rooms and had gone through the process to become addiction counselors and work in the addiction field. I reached out to an amazing um, woman and a program, Brighter Tomorrow in Griffin, Georgia, and Shannon Eller, who is an amazing clinical supervisor and, and teacher of substance abuse, the core education of substance abuse. And, and she told me, she said, Ginger, the substance abuse community is a whole lot more forgiving than any other field and I believe that you can do this and she, again she believed in me and she told me that she would be there from with me through it all another person going to bat for you absolutely absolutely and um so when she and so I went through the education class and I pushed I was had a newborn baby 
And I had a family that loved me enough to support me during that time in school and to help me get through that. An aunt and uncle. My dad's older sister is the only one I have left in my family and um, um, that I'm really close to because of my mother's death. And so um, anyway, she supported me in that process. And, and so in six months and three weeks, I made it through the education piece. Wow. And, um, and then uh, I went to take the test for the first time, and I said, God, you're going to have to do this because I just don't think I can do this. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It was not what I wanted to do. For your CSAC. I, I do, it's not what I wanted to do. I was like, I don't want to work with a bunch of women in recovery houses. I don't want to work with a bunch of people in recovery. Like I do this all, this is, I don't want to do this. Again, I surrendered my will to the care of God as I understood him. And I did the footwork and I allow God to do the rest. And I remember being in school going, this is not what I want to do, but I'm just going to be obedient. Man, I need to take your advice. And what, what, what happened right now? What happened after you was obedient? Uh, hang on a second. I want to. We're going to be starting a youth ministry, and I would love for you to be involved in that because I am just taken aback by your knowledge and, and understanding of, of all this stuff and just how eloquently you speak. So you're amazing, Ginger. That's why I'm not I'm not saying, I mean, hey, this is, it's all about you today. I'm just sitting back, sitting back here to listen and learning. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> Thank you. But um, it's a gift. Trust me. Amen. And um, so... When um, so I went to take the test, and I passed it the very first time. Hell yeah. And um, I remember when you go in to take the test, you can't have anything but a piece of paper and a pencil and the keyboard. And I walked out and I handed it in my scratch paper, and I said, "I need to go to the bathroom first because they give you the the results instantly." Mm. And I went to the bathroom and I was squalling because I already knew that God had gone before me, and I already knew that I had passed the test. And when I walked out to the counter, tears streaming down my face, the woman said, why are you crying? You passed. And I said, I know. I know. I already knew I did. I said, but because I said, you don't understand. I'm a I'm a personal long term recovery. I'm a recovering addict. And um, that's the language I used at the time many years ago, Caleb. (laughs) My boy just perked up. We love you. And so um, I said, and this is big for me. This is really big for me to accomplish this, you know, and um, and to know where I came from and to be able to do this. In this a fairly is, short period of time. Yeah, and this is huge. Two and a half years in recovery, I was a certified addiction, a certified alcohol and drug counselor with the, with the Alcohol and Drug Certification Board with Georgia. And then I became um, internationally certified, which is a, um, through the ICNRC, which is mm-hmm. worldwide. I can um, practice and get reciprocity in any state, in any country, um, throughout the world. And then I became... Um, and these are all just gifts. And then and then the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse has a program called Certified Addiction Recovery Empowerment Specialist, which is a um, it's a invitation only. They take 150 people. You go through a written um, a written submission and they take those 150 and they narrow it down to 45. And then they take you through three rounds of interviews and then they take those 45 down to 15. And then they invite you in if you if they approve you and and they they base it on your walk on your recovery on your enthusiasm on what you do and what you stand for very select crowd very select and um very different than peer support here in north carolina and um 
and you get the training to become a certified addiction recovery empowerment specialist. And then, and then you take the test and you become a certified peer support for addiction. And then um, I came to, I packed a bag and stepped out on a leap of faith and came here where I had family um, in North Carolina with my aunt and uncle. And um, I came to North Carolina and um, I applied for reciprocity and they gave me my CSAC and um, my certified substance abuse counselor. And then I uh, became worked on a PACE team for peer support work, and uh, I was given my North Carolina peer support specialist. So um, if there's anything that's more powerful than that, I don't know what it is. It's all a gift. I mean, I did the footwork, and I let God do the rest. But the thing is, is that nothing is impossible. For the one who dropped out of school, for the one who just has a GED, for the one who made the bad choice, I wasted opportunity after opportunity. I finished EMT school. I used to be a pharmacy tech. Like I wasted opportunity after opportunity after opportunity before my addiction ran rampant. And the thing is, is that God restored all the devil stole a hundredfold. Mm -hmm. And I have been given back everything I wanted plus more. And with nothing but a GED, I have 21 letters behind my name today. Can I have you say that one more time? (laughs) How many times have you been convicted of felony charges? Two. Class A, um, I I caught uh, trafficking, manufacturing, dispute, or dispense, uh, possession with intent. um, And just a GED. And just a GED. And how many alphabets do you have behind your name? <laughs> I have 21 letters behind my name today. That's unbelievable. It's, it's, that it, is unbelievable. At that, that in itself, like you've given me so much inspiration. Mm-hmm. I just love this woman. <laughs> and it sounded like two significant things happened. Small, but obviously very significant. It, somebody believed in you and gave you that desire to have, you know, to get you reconnected and, and find your purpose. And the second thing is to be a good leader, you have to be a great servant. And I, I know that uh, it sounds to me like you come to North Carolina to possibly run a uh, Res Hope Recovery <laughs> House. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about that for a minute. So when I got these credentials, let me tell you the most powerful and amazing gift that God has given me in my recovery. I had all these credentials and I could service children and build Medicaid from ages six to 65. But I took my credentials and I walked into the courtroom day after day, time after time, and advocated for the recovery process. I got on the stand and I um, asked courts, multiple people facing um, felony drug convictions, traffic and methamphetamines charges, out on bond referendums, scholarshiped into $10,000 recovery programs. Um, I just recently brought a young girl um, who was pregnant all the way from Louisiana, from Georgia, um, from Louisiana into Georgia, and she is now awaiting her bed at Mary Hall Freedom House, another amazing program for women and children in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and she's got seven months clean today. I brought a girl all the way from, well, God, let me, God allowed me to be used to bring a girl all the way from in jail, a girl that I used to sponsor. I sponsored her for three and a half years, and after the death of her mother, um, she had returned to using and had been out there for a while, and and got totally honest with me and called me for help. And she got in jail. she had to face some warrants and stuff. Um, I got her all the way out of jail. 
in Spalding County, Georgia, brought her all the way up here to first at Blue Ridge, which is another amazing program in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And um, <laughs> the most phenomenal thing about that is that I did every single bit of that through emails and phone calls. Do you know why? Because recovery has given me integrity and character and honesty and, and a reputation in the field and, and, and the ability to, be, to help people and, and something I never thought I could have. Like our reputation, our word is everything. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, NA teaches us that um, our literature says that we could not live with or without the use of drugs. So I couldn't live with the use of drugs because I was strung out all the way balls to the wall. But I couldn't live. I had to learn how to live without the use of drugs and find a new way to live. And that's what step work gave me. It gave me the opportunity to to reinvent myself, you know, to restore the morals and the values that were instilled inside of me long before my using, you know, to have character and, um, and like I said, integrity and honesty and, and, and respect, like people trust me today. And I can send an email and a copy of my credentials and, and be able to help people find the recovery process. And, and it's all because of, because of the consistency. Because I, for six years, that's over 2,000 and something days, I've consistently made the right decision to do the next right thing. And sometimes it's minute by minute, hour by hour, and if I'm blessed, it's day by day. I have two um, really close family members that are struggling right now, and I I want to get you connected with them if you if you would you know just wow Ginger I love you <laughs> <laughs> you're you you're awesome you're amazing and uh but you know so the greatest gift though was the advocacy was to fight for someone when they weren't in the room, to walk into a courtroom. And let me tell you how amazing recovery is. I have advocated for the recovery process and won in the very same courtrooms I was prosecuted in. That's where it's at right there. That is where it's at. That's unbelievable. I, I want I want to get a plug in right there and, and say that I had a full circle moment like that recently. Actually, uh, my mom sent me uh, a post. Was it a post? It was, yeah, it was a post on Facebook from the very bondsman <laughs> that I oh, read yeah. from. That was amazing. Well, it was actually, and it, she had the post where it said, any information leading to Caleb McCoy's arrest <laughs> will give you $500. And so she sent that to me the other night, and that's what recovery's given to me, you know, given to me. And wow, it's amazing. And, and not just did they, did it come full circle and you get to be a productive member of society and show them your recovery yet again. Your addiction touched lives. Your recovery is touching every life you touch. So now your recovery has touched their life, and they are like, you want to come work for us? Yeah. You want to come help us? Mm-hmm. You, you want to help us? That's how everything that's meant to destroy us turns around to empower us. Setting a table, and, and well, how does that go? The scripture setting a table in front of our enemies. Mm-hmm. So, and that's another thing. Like, um, then I was asked probably had about two and a half years clean when when I was asked to sit on Goster in Georgia, the governor's office of transitional support and reentry. And that's a task force for returning citizens coming out of prison. And I sat at the table <laughs> and ate breakfast <laughs> with the head of the Georgia Board of Pardons and Paroles, yeah. with the head of um, uh, with the chief of Atlanta 
the chief of South Atlanta probation. Like I sat at the table with them instead of across their desk talking about, can you pass a drug test? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like I sat at the table with them. But then when I stood up and I advocated as a substance abuse counselor, they listened. And I got to make choices for people coming out of prison and how to support them in their recovery process. People just like me. I was a voice in that room. That is nothing but God. That is nothing but recovery is real. And that's how real it gets. That's how raw it gets. You know, we are, we are amazing people. You know, we have gifts and talents and, and we've stifled them through our using and we've lost them through our pain. But when we, when we get to find recovery and get a clear mind and a clear mindset, we re, we're renewed with all those gifts mm-hmm. and strengths we have. You know, the talent to, to come to the table and come up with an idea to develop NC Raw. You know, the talent to... Did you... Oh, <laughs> did... Uh, sorry to stop you. So we have a mutual friend someone that, that we both know, did she share with you how obsessed I was with a radio show? <laughs> no. No, she didn't? All right, we'll have to talk about that at a, at a later time. Yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. But, um, and let's, can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. And her pathway, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, let's do it. I, I wanted to just real quickly ask you, like, from the, we'll get, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. But from the, from the rooms of N.A., to state and international licensure mm-hmm. to this amazing advocacy work in the courtrooms and getting getting folks um, connected with treatment options. What does, how has your recovery evolved throughout that process? And what does your recovery look like now in comparison to what it did in the beginning? And then maybe you could transition into the direction you're going with that. Okay. So I know where you're going with that. I got you. So, um, One of the main things, another movement I worked on in Georgia, which is now coming to North Carolina, let me say, whoop, whoop, I hope I can get on this movement, um, is Ban the Box. Um, I became a member of the Ban the Box movement and helped um, ban the box in the state of Georgia on all applications that ask if you're a convicted felon. So that's an amazing part that my place that my recovery went because that was my story. That was my advocacy. That was my platform. Um, when, uh, when I was, uh, when I was sentenced, I was one of 950,000 women across the United States under direct correctional supervision for drug related offenses. And, um, and that represents 2.8 billion children whose mothers are their, their children of incarcerated parents. One in every 28 children in the state of Georgia are parents of incarcerated parent. you know, children of incarcerated parents. And um, so that was my platform. You know, I couldn't get a job. I had no employability. Mm-hmm. Recovery gave me employability. And, um, and so I really wanted to make that move for other people. It's a vicious, vicious cycle that they get into. You know, um, uh, you and this is just kind of a scenario that I give a lot to people, um, and I'm just going to throw it out there because I know there's people that are seeing the same behavior and struggling with the same thing. I see many, many, especially men coming out of the prison system who have no intention. They've made a complete change. They built a relationship and a foundation with God. They've participated in all MRT and motivation for change and, and, and uh you know, thinking for a change and, and uh, classes while they were incarcerated. They've made all these choices, and their intention when they walk out of that door is to no longer go back to what they were doing. 
They want to they want to be productive members of society. They want to go to work. They want to take care of their kids. They want their family back. They are done. The consequences have gotten great enough. Mm-hmm. But when they hit the streets, DFAX wants all the money that the mother's gotten for help and assistance. Um, you know, the Department of Family and Children's Services wants all the money for the fam for the woman who's gotten support for the child because they've been incarcerated. The parole officer wants his monthly payment and their fines and fees. Probation wants their monthly payment and fines and fees, and they have to pay for a substance abuse assessment, and they got to pay twenty five dollars a week for a class. And they're standing in the unemployment line, and they can't get a job because they have a convicted felon. They have a felony conviction. Mm-hmm. And so they keep trying to do the next right thing and work for this one and get a job here and get a job there and do what they can. And then the mindset is, well, I won't sell it. I'll just get a little bit and get somebody to get rid of it for me. Mm-hmm. And then when they do that, before long, it's time to re-up. they got to be at work at 6 o'clock in the morning, and, and their man's late, and it's going to be 1 or 2 o'clock, till, and this phone's blowing off the hook. Well, I'll just do a little so I can wait on him and go to work the next morning. And now someone who never wanted to use again, didn't want to use, didn't want to pick up, is caught in that trap again with the full-fledged intention to do something different. And so because society does not support them, because the community does not forgive their convictions, because there is no repercussions to having a clean slate or a fresh start, they're caught in the same vicious cycle and that is the story. That was the story for me. That's the story for many, many, many people, you know, that aren't given that opportunity for employment. And so, you know, that was my platform. And so, ban the box was huge for me sure. to be a part of that movement. What else can we do besides that to help these folks transition back? You got what, any other? It's it's about what we're doing now, yeah. building a recovery community that finds acceptance. And 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 see, it's people like this that come to the table. People that have a voice, people that are willing to use their voice, people that stand up and say these people should no longer face the consequences for what they've done. You know, I am um, really, really trying to find a way to form a platform for um, people coming out who can't get food stamps. And it's not that I think everyone should be on state benefits and everything should. It's because there are people who can have charges of weapons of mass destruction and murder and get food stamps. But if you have a drug charge, you cannot. If that's not stigma, I don't know what is. And when we don't begin to break the stigma, if we don't begin to stand, it's when we stand up and say recovery does happen, recovery is real, I have a job, I'm a productive member of society, I'm paying my taxes, I'm not living on state benefits. When we do those things, we show that there's no reason for you to continue to stigmatize us. You know, it's like, it's almost like Lazarus. Nobody wanted to touch him because he had bulls and, 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 mm-hmm. and, and sores all over him. And it's like when we look at someone in recovery or we look at someone who's still in active addiction, we see the sores, we see the track marks, we see the, we see the, the, the filth and the dirtiness, and nobody wants to touch them. And they're still humans. They're still people. They still deserve the opportunity for change. Direct action, man. Right. That's what it's going to take is, you know, us stepping up and, like she said, using our voice. What that makes me think of is, like. We got four microphones right here, man. The The soil. No, I was going to talk about how on the reservation, like, as of right now, they 
if you get how many times it is it if you get in trouble you get banned from the reservation and i don't know how that is right now but we're working on that that banishment right taking it i mean because you know what happens if you get banned and then you know 10 years well however many however long down the road they you know they're in recovery they're doing good they're doing well for themselves you know they haven't been back on the reservation they've abided by the stipulations but they've found recovery and they're doing better and you still won't let them come on, you know. When if you let, if I'm not, if you let them back, they could be of service to the community <coughs> directly, right. like in ways that you guys are doing. If I'm not mistaken, Absolutely. it's my uh, my foster uncle is or is my mom's foster brother, my uncle. He has been in recovery, I think, for ten years, and he has his CSAC, and he can't come on a reservation. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's going. And take. he has he has kids that's on the roll that he can't even come to the reservation and see them. So what, what can be done about that? We're I mean, getting ready to we're we're working on that right now. And it's us, you know, standing together, knowing what it feels like, and knowing what it feels like not to be given a chance, you know, by certain people, you know, that that hold those labels on us or that don't want to look past our past. So that's what I think. You know, we're we're planning on doing from here on out is making this Trail of Tears run an annual thing. Um, oh, you'll so never what, you'll never run again. <laughs> they'll let you bike next year yeah you i don't want to bike i can see a whole team of team of folks running with yeah you next i mean year, we right? could get a relay team you know if you yeah. want to run the whole don't thing the finger at me man <laughs> <laughs> come on now yes ginger uh, i'll ride in the car i'll ride in the car with ginger i'll <laughs> ride you in the car bike. with ginger you could bike and we'll run we'll make our own group and go out there well let me say something about that really quick go on just let me say that is that um I'm not physically, from being out of shape and all that stuff, able to do that. But today, I ha- right today, now, today. But what I want to say is this: um, when we get in this recovery process, it starts out about the use of drugs and alcohol, and then it starts up out about you know changing our getting a conscience and changing our ideas and actions and becoming productive members of society and having integrity. And now for me, like, and then it becomes about our mental health, wellness, and overall well-being, and like. This is what I want to say to someone who I'm sure struggles with the same thing I do is um, in my overall well-being, um, you know, I gained weight when I got clean. Well, I got pregnant, <laughs> so I gained a lot of weight. And, um, and then it was very hard for me to get it off. And that's affected um, my self-esteem and, um, and, and how I feel about myself, even though I'm in recovery. Like I, I've gained a lot of weight in the last year and, and, and had some stressors involved in my life. And, um, and like I'm not okay with that internally. And I, so I have to apply the 12 steps and, and the principles of my recovery to do something different and an active change to get healthier and to get better because I want to live a long life for that little girl that I had early in recovery that's five years old. And so, um, so when we struggle with when we get clean and we gain that weight and we're uncomfortable in our own body and, um, and it takes some time to be willing to do the footwork for the running and the walking and the exercising and the eating right because we substitute addictions, you know, and, and um, for food and, and, um, and TV, just different things. And so that's what's happened for me, and I'm sure it happens for a lot of people in recovery. And so it's important for me to um, not just tell you that this, but to tell myself this, that even though I've gained weight, I'd, ra- I'd whole much rather be um, 
fat and happy and skinny and strung out (laughs) for sure. But now I'm to a point in my recovery where I want my overall wellness to be better. You know, I want to take care of my body now. Um, and my, and which will in turn take care of my mind and make me feel better about myself, you know, and, um, and, and it, and it improves my overall wellness, you know, and, um, and I don't have to be, I don't have to beat myself up today because I'm where I am. I just have to remember like, like just for today, not to eat the sugar or just for today, not to eat a soda. Mm -hmm. It's for me, it is so important that those 12 steps and that mentality of what it's taught me, I practice in all areas of my life. You know, that's what's so great about what a 12 step program has done for me, that I'm able to accept that in all areas of my life. My boy Caleb loves to run around and tell everybody how amazing they are, but I think that all you guys would agree with me. You're beautiful, Ginger, so <laughs> just lock that in, all right? Yes. So, so what, what I heard her say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you're going to start doing something, you're going to do a new thing. Mm-hmm. Let us know how we can support you in, in moving forward with that. I've already told you. As far as the exercise and eating better. And Don't worry, man, Ginger. We're going to be hanging out. Yeah. On oh, so running. you just keep me out of the loop now, huh? You're going to be You're going to be running. See, I, yeah, right? I need y'all to be able to run the last my couple miles anyways. So that could she, be look, something. She's the one that meets you on the beach. Right? <laughs> <laughs> she's right. the angel. I'm just the guru. We are, (laughs) we're starting to run out of time, but I wanted to bring up uh, and get your opinion on somewhat of a controversial topic that I know you're passionate about and coming from the 12 step communities. um, We kind of had a conversation earlier this afternoon about medicated assistant treatment. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to share with our listeners your perspective, both from in the rooms and working with sponsees in the 12-step community, what your overall thoughts are on medicated assistant treatment. Okay. So um, I live in Haywood County. And in Haywood County, since uh, 2018 began, there's been 21 deaths to overdoses from um, opioids, um, fentanyl, heroin, um, whatever it is, there's been 21 overdoses, and just and this uh, this began just a few this year began just a few short months ago, yeah. and, uh, and it's not even May first yet. No, it's not even May first, and so in four months we've lost 21 people. So that's an average of like six people a month, and that's uh, that's insanity. You know, um, we like to think about you know multiple people die all across the united states but never does it hit home at such impact where in whatever in what other situation would you have lost that many people in four months um and uh and the reality is is that the amount of people that die from opioid addiction every month is greater than everyone that died in 9 11 mm-hmm. every month every month across the united states say it again the the equivalent of people that die every month from opioid overdose every month is greater than all the lives that were lost in 9-11. There is... There's over 3,000 and something lives lost every month 
to opioid addiction, opioid overdose. And so where does medicated assistant treatment so because fall of that, into that? Yeah. So because of that, it makes a huge impact on our community mm-hmm. and the loss of life. Mm-hmm. And um, we need to be able to turn the divert the tragic loss of life into um, a healthy restoration of one's true self. And I believe that Medicaid, medical adis- assisted treatment offers that to the opioid addiction community. It's not time to just, um, we're, we're way involved in opioid education, mm-hmm. but we are nowhere near a drop in the bucket to opioid acceptance for medically assisted treatment. There's no acceptance for that. In, in the pathway that I came from, it's about being clean and it's all this stigma and you're not doing it this way and you're not doing it that way. Well, let me tell you something. I came from that pathway. And the recovery process and working in the recovery field and being exposed to so many different people, um, gaining and becoming productive members of society, the number one thing that Narcotics Anonymous taught me was that um, any addict could lose the desire, stop using, and find a new way to live, become a productive member of society, and give back to their community. And our literature says that if we do nothing but break the cycle of addiction, we've committed, we've, we've performed a miracle, you know? And medically assisted treatment for someone with opioid addiction that um, suboxone is their pathway let me tell you something what do they do they find a new way to live without the use of drugs gain manageability yeah and from what i've seen like let me tell you i'm going to go ahead and say it right now samantha bradley is a star stunning shining example i have worked alongside her i have worked with her on the same job that's our guest from episode number one in case you missed no, it. No, number three or number one? Number three. From episode three. Okay. So she is a star-stunning example of what it looks like yeah. to gain um, stability and be a productive member of society and recovery from that pathway. And she is unbelievable. And the list goes on and on and on. And yeah. Of- yeah. Every, most everyone I've seen in that pathway has become productive. And as a member of um, Narcotics Anonymous, like I break the cycle and, and it's a new age. And I believe that if you had a uh, bill from mm-hmm. AA and the founders from Narcotics Anonymous here today, that NA and AA would not look the same as it does today, sure. that they would have grown with the times and found acceptance because it's the 12 steps that, give me, that have given me tolerance and acceptance. And our literature says that we find a God and a higher power that's loving and caring, and we emulate that loving and caring behavior to the addict who still suffers. That's what the literature says. <laughs> um, so in saying that... Um, what I want to say is, is if I gain tolerance and acceptance for other people's pathway and I emulate being loving and caring, then I accept their pathway. And it's not about being clean or dirty. It's about being in the recovery process. These people become productive members of society. They work jobs. They take care of their children. They get their kids back. They, they do things like they're supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. They take them control like medication, just like mental health and diabetics. You know, they have a plan and, and to taper off and to not be dependent on it forever. It just sometimes everyone's pathway is not the same. And sometimes it takes them longer to get there. It's like the one who comes in the room and keeps picking up the white key tag guess what they keep coming back because they know something there works they just hadn't quite figured it out how to apply it in their life today yes ma'am you know what i'm saying and it's like and and those people they become they're 
someone who gets medically assisted treatment is the example and becomes a productive member of society, they're the example of why it works, not the expectation that they're still using. They're the example of hope, dignity, courage, love, perseverance, and change. And they gain those things through their pathway, you know? And I sponsor people that, use, that are on Suboxone maintenance because I believe that just because they don't get it my way, guess what? If they're on Suboxone maintenance and they're coming to the rooms, not only are they getting medically assisted treatment, they're searching for other options to support their recovery. Creating their own approach. Yes, and they're supporting other options to find a new way to live. They're not just medically assisting the opioid receptors. They're trying to find ways to become productive members of society. They're trying to change the inside. And anybody that takes that type of action, we want to respect and welcome yes. them and love them. And yes, and they truly want something different. Who am I to say? Our literature says that there is no role model for recovery. No role model. So who am I? And, and it also says that it's an individual process. It's different for each one of us. So how can I determine that your way is right and, or wrong and my way is right? Thank you. I love it. I love it. I love the passion, man. I love the passion. She's on fire. I got one last question. Tell me about uh, family life, kids. What's, li- what's life like at home these days? Unbelievable. Yeah. I have a five-year-old daughter who has never known me in active addiction. And I pray that as long as I remain in this process and surrender to a power greater than myself, that she will never know me in active addiction. I have two children who have forgiven me wholeheartedly for active addiction. What does that feel like? Unbelievable. My five-year um, celebration, my um, 18-year-old daughter, she was 18 at the time, she's 19 now, she gave me my medallion and she read to the group, she said, because of this program, I no longer have to look at my mother through glass. I no longer have to set my calendar based on visitation days. I no longer have to talk to her through a funny phone on the wall. Powerful. Mm-hmm. I get to see her. I get to spend time with her. I get to call her and know that she'll answer whenever I call. I know that she's always there for me. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I have a son who loves me no matter what and has seen um, other people struggle <laughs> and he has this uh, he has my personality he is the center of attention he's the riot he laughs all the time a beautiful smile and I've listened to him tell people if my mom can do it working around a bunch of addicts you can do it too <laughs> that's what he said and um, you know and um, and then I have a dot my five-year-old went to the um, Asheville literacy um, um, dinner they have this big celebration every three months for people who um have learned to read and the literacy foundation has taught them how to read and there was a woman standing there who was in recovery and didn't know how to read and that through the program of na and then through the literacy foundation they taught her how to read and she stood up and she read something and she said i have five years clean and i'm a mother of three and and i'm a recovering addict and my little girl stood up and said that's just like my mommy. And one day she said, um, she told me, she said, Mommy, when I grow up, I want to be a rescuer like you. Yes. Yes. 
Passing the torch, baby. So, and our literature says that if all we do is break the cycle, we've done more than enough. And I truly believe that my recovery has broke the cycle. I think you've done more than that. Yeah. And so um, that's a beautiful thing. But the one thing that has been, that's happened in my life in the last year that I never, ever thought would happen again was to become a wife again mm-hmm. and to have a full, happy household. And a, I have a home and... Um, you know, and vehicles and a good job. And and let me just say this, with all those letters behind my name and all those accomplishments and all those charges, I work today at a federal facility. You got a federal Baby. license too. I have a U.S. <laughs> government federal driver's license. And my, my lifetime MVR is 12 pages long. God is good. That's so beautiful, man. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. My boy is in awe over here. Look at him. (laughs) So in closing, I'm going to throw you a curveball, all right? Because I don't think that you've heard this segment that we recently started on our last couple episodes. But you talk about getting real, right? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to show you a picture. Mm Mm-hmm. All right? Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't give you a heads up about this. I didn't oh, tell you Jesus. about this. You haven't seen this anywhere. I'm going to show you a series of pictures. Mm-hmm. And I would like for you to describe to me the story behind the picture. Oh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like what was going on? What happened? Where were you at this time in your life? Oh, oh this is fun. This, this is, is so much fun. Here we go. First picture right here. <laughs> It's t- from Instagram. It's titled Tur- oh, yes. Turtle Power. <laughs> and let me start off, too. With your permission, we're going to post these pictures. You're fine. It's fine. And when we when we upload the uh, full show, we're going to post these pictures. <laughs> uh-huh. So our so our viewers can see what we're describing. So. Uh-huh. All right. So you want to know about this picture? I want to know about that picture right there. Okay. So let me tell you where I was at this picture. I worked for um, a program called... Um, hype helping young people evolve in Georgia with teenage kids and um, attached to that program was um, a basketball Christian Academy and the basketball students went to school there and there was a young um, boy there that had been recruited for the basketball team and um, very huge very tall um, young man from Africa and he didn't um, he lived with his coach in um and and they went to school there at Hype, and I would spend time talking to him, and he would. Um, they didn't eat the food that he ate, and they didn't do. Um, they they didn't have a lot of the things that he enjoyed, and um, and he had no support. He had no family support from Africa, no one to help him, and um, the coach was already educating all of them and giving them basketball. Um, it's the North Carolina Titans. I mean, not North Carolina, but it's the Titans, and it's a um, Christian Fellowship Academy mm-hmm. in Riverdale, Georgia. And so, um, so the I took him, I took him and two or three of the other guy, kids from the basketball team that lived with the coach, and I took them shopping at Walmart, and I bought him all the food that he wanted and the things that he wanted from back home so that he could make the things that he was used to in Africa because they didn't eat all those things there. And so while we were in Walmart, they had, and I loved needing, I love turtles. Turtles are a sign of longevity and um, 
and long life and I have a thing for turtles and slow and steady wins the race mm -hmm. you know that we stay consistent and so there oh, were sounds like recovery yeah so there was um so all so four kids were with me and there was a Batman um a Batman outfit and a Spider-Man outfit and and but then there were all four of the Ninja Turtles so we all four dressed up like the Ninja Turtles and so they took this picture of me because they thought it was so hilarious. <laughs> and so I had to post it on Instagram. I think it's beautiful, like, where just such a simple photo has such, like, an amazing story behind it. Like, I'm Powerful. stoked yes. that we uh, <laughs> that we started this thing. It's tons of fun. Yeah. All right, you ready for the next one? Yeah. I got one more. Uh, I don't think it'll be as, as, uh, as bad. You never know. Uh, this picture right here? Yeah. This was um, August 25th, 2013. So that's my little girl that uh -huh. I had five years ago. And um, the little girl with her is um, my neighbor's daughter. And there is a powerful story behind this one, too. Dang, so, I, pay, I pay good pictures, yeah, huh? So um, I lived in a, when I got clean, um, and after I, ha I got through my recovery process, I still had not had my child yet. And um, when I got through the treatment center that my, the judge sent me to, I um, went to live with my sponsor. And in fact, just so you know, um, because the majority of my family, my dad's deceased, my mom's deceased, um, and I went through this pregnancy alone, my sponsor and grand sponsor were in the delivery room, and my sponsor cut the umbilical cord for my daughter. Oh, man. And so um, when I completed my recovery, the treatment program, I went to live with my sponsor on a four-month plan um, that I would, you know, stabilize myself and get housing and all that stuff. And, um, and I gave birth to Graceland while I was living with my sponsor. And I lived there another four months after that, so I stayed with her for six months. And again, God intervened, and I had a sponsee who lived in a um, Shelter Plus housing program for substance abuse. And um, they give you your own apartment and, um, you know, townhome or duplex, and you pay 30% of your income. And I would go see, visit her over there, and it was through this recovery program, um, New Choices in Georgia, and you had, to be a, you had to have gone through that program to get that housing. And um, I made it, and she told me who her contact was, and I called the woman, and I said, look, I have this little girl. I have nowhere to go, and if you can, and I know I'm not a part of New Choices, but if you can't help me, will you please pray about it and tell me who can help me and help me find housing? Like I have no options. And she said, "Do all this paperwork. Do this. Do this, and then call me back." And so she gave me an apartment right next to the girl that I sponsor, and this is my sponsee's daughter holding my daughter. Love it. Mm -hmm. And so, and this girl that I sponsored is still clean today. She still, she still lives in those apartments. And um, she, she has a powerful story. She walked away from her entire family. And that's a message I want to say today. She left her entire family and moved to a different city um, because her grandmother was her dealer. And um, she had to give it all up in order to stay clean and get her kids back. And that takes tremendous courage. But we have to understand that people, places, and playgrounds, like when I tell you that the first thing that changes is your social circle when you start using, the first thing that has to change when you get clean is your social circle, even if it's in your family. That was like the first thing you mentioned when we sat down at the table mm -hmm. tonight, right? Mm -hmm. The first topics that came yeah. up. And you that's so powerful. And I mean, that's so true. By this picture, you know, that just shows how you – 
your recovery family, your recovery connections, that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. who you have to surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at mm-hmm. them beautiful babies of <laughs> two people, you know, mm-hmm. in recovery that met. That's what recovery well, gives us. I've got so many stories, but I've got good pictures you picked. Yes. Um, and it's like you mentioned earlier, breaking the cycle, right? You mm-hmm. got two beautiful babies right here. So, yeah, she stumbled across, across the third and last picture. You probably got notifications earlier because I liked all no, three of these. No, I didn't. I liked all three of these pictures earlier, trying to give you like a little inside <laughs> Iggy nope. in case that we might be doing something. So this is the third and final picture that I would like to know the story behind. So uh, the caption, it's dated December 11th, 2016, and it the caption is, In the studio, the final forum. Hashtag recoveries real. Ginger Harper speaks. Mm-hmm. So my, ma- my maiden name was Harper, but anyway, um, so Big Peach Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. There's a forum, there's a CNN documentary called Between the Divide, the Communities and Policing. And four people sat on that panel, including um, Larry Kirk, Chief Larry Kirk from LEAP in Missouri, which is law enforcement advocating for um, prohibition which has now spun off into LEAD, which will be coming to Haywood County and is a big um, law movement. Enforcement diversion law program. enforcement advocating for diverted sentencing. Okay. Yeah. So um, a year... A year and a half ago, I did that documentary with him, with kids from Morehouse and... Um, and um, and him um, advocate, you know, between the divide, the communities and policing, talking about, you know, how we change the atmosphere. And I sat in what was the staged uh, audience mm-hmm. and brought um, a lot of the statistics about recovery and and uh, and the changes and and the legal viewpoints on how people change and what what is to change. And um, and that was an amazing you brought the data. And oh, yeah. displayed the the, yeah. the message that recovery yeah. happens. I usually, um, that's a big thing with me. I bring the statistics. Um, I bring it home because, like I said earlier, that I was one of 950,000 women. Today, that's 1.2 million women across the United States under direct correctional supervision for drug-related offenses. Mm-hmm. And so those are, those, are, um, those are non-violent offenses that cause permanent, permanent consequences. Wow. Thank you, Ginger. You're amazing. <laughs> she is, though. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. this has been outstanding. <laughs> I just want to say I'm so honored to be able to work with you as the days that I do get to work with you. You truly are making a difference in people's lives. Did did we <coughs> meet your expectations? Did you have a good time? You guys are amazing. Yeah. You guys are doing something. You're like on the forefront. This is breakthrough. This is trailblazing stuff. Well, thank you. You don't know that? Well, I, like I said a few minutes ago, I want to make sure that, you know, I tell you that I believe that your purpose up here not only is to uh, make change, but directly make it on the reservation. And I, I want to make sure that we talk about you being a director of our program. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you, Ginger. You're amazing. Thank you, Ginger, for joining us and sharing that uh, awesome message of recovery. <laughs> recovery is real. Recovery is real. It's safe Hashtag. to say. It's safe to say it happens, right? Recovery does happen. Thank you guys for tuning in to NC Raw. 
Recovery Always podcast. The NC Raw family would like to thank today's musical contributors, Rival, whose work can be found on Facebook, SoundCloud, and YouTube by searching Rival 727, and Logan Bruce, whose music can be found on Logan Bruce Music on Facebook and SoundCloud. All of our NC Raw content is available by visiting our website at www.ncraw.life. Please subscribe to the site to receive exclusive content offers that will be sent directly to your inbox. And be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at WNC Raw. Thanks for listening.